0: That Matter podcast. I'm your host, John Harris. I hope you will indulge me a short episode on the royal family. I know I'm late to the game because everyone else has been talking about this over the weekend. I missed my opportunity, though, because I scheduled some podcasts. The ball was already rolling, and I thought, well, I'm not gonna jump in the way and mess everything up. I'll just on Tuesday weigh in. So here I am on Tuesday weighing in, and I just want to make a few observations. One is that it's odd to me It's inconsistent to me to view all the pomp and circumstance we did over the weekend and really the treatment of that pomp and circumstance in American media among American liberal elites when some of these same liberal American elites are so opposed to white privilege. uh, They're opposed to what they consider to be Christian nationalism, which is this idea that Christianity should have an effect on the country i mean that's really basically what it means in their mind any kind of uh, impact you think christians should have on the political situation and oh you're a christian nationalist they're against that and yet for some odd reason a family that has been anglo has been white in memoriam and uh, at least the uh, uh, the kings and queens have been and a family that has a privilege by nature of their heredity and a family that whose uh, king or queen, the sovereign in that particular family, ends up being the defender of the faith, the official religion of the nation in England. That's all cool. <laughs> that's all. That's that's awesome. I mean, that's celebrity stuff. We and need to get the paparazzi over there. And why is that? What what is up with that? There's not a word of uh, criticism to Queen Elizabeth except from some folks on Twitter that are really far left. And I would suggest they're probably more consistent than some of the majority of, I would say, leftists who may give a Queen Elizabeth a pass for some odd reason. She has almost universal support and recognition and respect. Her son, King Charles, of course, is not as respected. In fact, I saw it today, uh, as I'm recording this on Monday, a, a trending video where he, I saw it actually at the time, but now it's trending, that he kind of gave a little bit of a, uh, I don't know if a scowl's the word, but kind of a, an eeks kind of look to w- one of the people that he was um, that was working for him uh, during the uh, accession ceremony. He had to sign some documents and he didn't have the pen right in front of him, and he, it was interesting. It was he gave him a look, and that's going around the internet. You know, he's he's no son of, uh, he, he's no Queen Elizabeth, right? He doesn't look like her, uh, the way she w- with grace treated people. And that's probably true. But I think it's just, it's interesting that we are very comfortable, even in the United States, with, without the divine right of kings, without a royal family, without heredity uh, being a factor in how successful one is, we uh, spurn those kinds of things generally. And yet, for some reason, there's this fanboying, fangirling over all the pomp and circumstance of the royal family, the outfits, the music, uh, the customs, Uh, even the religious ceremony. We're all, even atheists are are just enamored with this to some extent and don't see anything really wrong with it, or at least they're not saying it if they do. And that is odd to me. It's interesting to me. And I have a theory. Now, I could be wrong because it's my theory, but... I'm struggling with trying to make sense of all this. And my theory is this. There's probably a number of factors. There, you have habit, of course, being one. I, I remember as a young uh, man or a young boy, really, uh, when Princess Diana died and the, the media blitz, the media. I mean, she's still a, a famous celebrity, a role model. I, I still remember that. So this has been my whole lifetime seeing the royal family treated that way and so i think there's some some habit there for why the media is still treating them that way you you kind of run on that uh, inertia but secondly and maybe more importantly i have a theory that actually we want there to be a form of hierarchy if you remember the children of israel wanted a king they wanted saul to be a king he looks like a king i mean he's a head foot taller than everyone we want to be like the nations around us. Why did they want to be like the nations around them, though? What was the purpose of that? What is that desire in their hearts? God s- said, I- I'm your king. Obey my law. That wasn't enough for them, though. And Of course, they were warned. Uh, "Don't. This, he's going to tax you. He's going to take your kids. He's going to take your young men, send them to war. You sure you want a king? Yes, we want a king. That is a desire that seems to reside in human beings deep down. They want there to be someone that can be a role model, someone to set the standard, someone to look up to, someone to take responsibility who is not them, someone to be higher up in the hierarchy than they are. That's a natural human tendency. America, at least many Americans, have thought of themselves and their culture as an aberration of this, that the uh, Americans are more of a meritocracy that you can be whoever you want as long as you're willing to put in the hard work. Of course, that's changed in my lifetime, but uh, traditionally, Americans have thought of themselves as self-sufficient, independent. And I don't know that that actually is, uh, to some extent it, it is, but it's not fully compatible with human nature. You can't take that to its extreme or its conclusion, really, and say that across the board, everyone uh, really wants that, that they only want to be a sovereign in their own household. Uh, Of course, God's the only one really with sovereignty, but they only want to be uh, responsible, and um, they want to administer the sovereignty God's given them in their own household, and then uh, no one else in charge of them. We still have to have a government. We still have to have some form of, of hierarchy above us, and we have it in various situations and voluntary associations in religion and business and uh, government, of course, local, state, uh, and national. And so we have all these inter these different layers of hierarchy. And I think that's very healthy. You have checks and balances in that. You have uh, different places to go for different problems or different uh, uh, th- things that are natural human needs. You go to different places for them. And you're not going to one all-powerful totalitarian state. Now, increasingly, that's what's happening. We're becoming like Soviet Union or other communist regimes where the state becomes all-encompassing, and we're marching in progressive increments towards that. But there's still voluntary associations, intermediate uh, groups that have their own hierarchies, and we submit to those. And the interesting thing is we do it voluntarily. If it's not under compulsion, we do it voluntarily. Humans naturally form these things. And I think that has something to do with why people are still kind of enamored with the royal family. It's a vestige of what once was and is no more, but the outer shell of it still is. The pomp and circumstance is still there. The outfits are still there. The tradition is still there. But the authority is not. So we kind of go with this... uh, pretending along that, that that this is somehow very important but we know it's really only symbolically important uh, the king in uh, of England doesn't really have authority other than he can set a good example there may be a few little things here and there he has, you know access to, um, to to the fortune of the royal family but he there really isn't much other than he has connections relationships uh, he's a, a symbol uh, he's an example but the authority to govern does not rest with him. Now, he, I mean, I guess he could try to say that I'm going to reinstitute that authority, but obviously that's not happening. I mean, King Charles is a great reset king. He is in it with the World Economic Forum and the global elites. He's a globalist. But he still has to tip his hat to the national traditions that he was raised in, and he values them to some extent. This is natural human tendency he has to value what is his own. And it's a natural human tendency to, I think, look at royalty and have somewhat of a respect for it, to uh, see it as something that's important and something perhaps comforting. If you're English, I think it's probably something that's comforting to you to have an adult in the room, almost, that there's some, something above you, something that's keeping a watchful eye and has your interests at heart and uh, is not going to let you down, and, and these kinds of things. Little girls, from the time they're young, I think, look at being a princess and perhaps a queen as some kind of just romantic ideal, even though it's been hundreds of years, <laughs> in America at least, there haven't been princes or queens or nobility. Uh, but they, little girls don't, when they're young, think of themselves as wanting to be a business tycoon that's not a natural tendency at least it has to kind of be inculcated in them it's it's more natural for girls to want to be princesses and it's more natural for boys to want to be knights Uh, something that's uh, has valor and honor and um, some kind of or a warrior of some kind right that's just a natural tendency to have authority they they don't generally from the point at which they're five or six years old think of themselves as business tycoons or uh, politicians necessarily—that's something that generally comes later on in life. Why is that? What is this something that is so fundamental to who we are uh, that we naturally want not just a hierarchy based upon success, but we want a hierarchy that is based upon nobility, honor, tradition, um, and intangible attributes and values—that uh, virtues really—that lie outside of ourselves that are common to all but are actually of a divine nature i think this speaks to something deep down in all of us there is a longing i think even in the hard hearts of many um, atheists and non-christians and progressive ideologues that they have to recognize that actually you know what there is something beautiful about this as imperfect as it is there is something they have to look at and and, and pause and and say wow that's pretty cool Now here is something that I want to predict. We'll see what happens. But remarkably, the transition from what I can tell that King Charles just underwent is very similar to what his mother underwent. Let me give you some examples of this. Uh, I will play for you first the Queen um, Elizabeth's, uh, the day she ascended the throne and what the Sergeant of Arms said. And it is, I think, almost word for word the same thing that was said uh, over the weekend when King Charles ascended. Here's what was said in 1952.
1: The high and mighty Princess Elizabeth Alexandra Mary is now, by the death of our late sovereign of happy memory, become Queen Elizabeth II. By the grace of God, queen of this realm and of all her other realms and territories, head of the Commonwealth, defender of the faith. To whom her lieges do acknowledge all faith and constant obedience with hearty and humble affection beseeching god by whom kings and queens do reign to bless the royal princess elizabeth the second with long and happy years to reign over us
0: now remarkably if you were watching over the weekend you heard pretty much the same thing the same exact thing from the sergeant of arms concerning the uh, king charles because they kept tradition. They even kept the religious references. However, there does seem to be a change. And I looked online to make sure because I I couldn't find anything where uh, it, it seems that King Charles had said what his mother, Queen Elizabeth said. And I believe it's what's been said since like the 1700s. He said it differently. Here's what Queen Elizabeth said. Uh, when she ascended the throne, she said this, I, Elizabeth, do solemnly and sincerely, in the presence of God, profess, testify, and declare that I am a faithful Protestant, and that I will, according to the true intent of the enactment which secured the Protestant succession to the throne, uphold and maintain the said enactments to the best of my powers according to law. That was November 4th, 1952. Here is what King Charles said in respect to this. He said this, Uh, I, Charles III, by the grace of God of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland and of all my other realms and territories, king, defender of the faith, do to faithfully promise and swear that I should inviolably maintain and preserve the settlement of the true Protestant religion as established by the laws made in Scotland in prosecution of the claim of right and particularly by an act instituted, an act for securing the Protestant religion and Presbyterian church government and by the acts passed by the parliament of both kingdoms for union of the two kingdoms, together with the government worship discipline rights and privileges of the Church of Scotland so help me god now this is part of a speech called um it's it's the uh, accession declaration so queen elizabeth had to make it and king charles had to make it but you can see there's a difference here and king charles you if you were watching you probably thought wow that's great look how christian this is that's amazing if you're a christian who likes christianity having an influence in the civil and in the cultural realm. But it is different. It is He doesn't say the same things that Queen Elizabeth said about being a faithful Protestant himself. Um, he also talks about the settlement of the true Protestant religion. And I don't know if that's a word choice that would be different. Perhaps I'm just, I'm speculating a little bit here, but it, it, it seems to be less, um, it, more, more humble, less aggressive, I guess, than um, just declaring that this is a Protestant country or something like that. He's just the settlement. It's one. It's like one of the religions that settled here. It's the settlement. And, and in what respect is it settled? Well, maybe that's a little open today to interpretation. But Elizabeth, uh, what she said was very much more aggressive, I think, um, that she's securing the Protestant succession to the throne, upholding and maintaining the said enactments to the best of my powers. She doesn't use the same language of... Uh, this the settlement of the, the Protestant religion. And, and of course, and, and again, King Charles doesn't make the same personal statement about the, being Protestant himself because that is a requirement for the King of England. They have to be Protestant. So I, I think it's assumed he is. He says he is. But he, here here's where things get different, I think. I, I sense at least a change possibly here. And what will be super interesting is to find out what actually happens, not during what we've just witnessed, but during the ceremony that will be to come uh, probably next year, or if not, maybe a little later this year. I don't know when they're uh, going to do it exactly, but it, what you just saw was the accession uh, to the throne. But you will be seeing a, a, a grander ceremony. I'm going to show you uh, the coronation. That's what they call it, the coronation ceremony of Queen Elizabeth in 1953, this is what it looked like. Check this out.
1: Receive this imperial robe, and the Lord your God endue you with knowledge and wisdom, with majesty and with power from on high. The Lord clothe you with the robe of righteousness and with the garments of salvation. Receive this orb set under the cross, and remember that the whole world is subject to the power and empire of Christ, our Redeemer. Receive the royal scepter, the ensign of kingly power and justice. Receive the rod of equity, and mercy. Be so merciful that you be not too remiss. So execute justice that you forget not mercy. Punish the wicked. Protect and cherish the just. Hey
0: everyone, I want to take a moment in the middle of the podcast here, speaking of Great Britain and England, Uh, to talk to you about Gold River Tea. Gold River Tea is a wonderful company. You can go to goldriverco.com. That's goldriverco.com and check out their holiday blends. They have a number of them, but most recently is their pumpkin spice. And in fact, I have some in my mug right now. This is my special Conversations That Matter mug. I just put the whole bag in when I drink tea. It's wonderful tea. And you don't need to feel guilty when you purchase tea from Gold River because they're employing American workers. They're pro-Western civilization. They're pro-America. They are pro-Christianity, most importantly. And they're not doing diversity trainings and giving their money to woke uh, organizations and corporations. So you can rest assured when you buy from goldriverco.com, they are going to give you some of the finest quality tea but without the wokeness. And if you type in the promo code conversations, you can get 15% off your tea blend. And there's many of them. There's not just pumpkin spice. You can get mint teas and green teas and chamomile and black tea. And there's even summer blends. If you're living in Hawaii and you're thinking, I'm never going to drink hot tea. Well, that's just fine. Get some of the iced tea they have. It's great. So go to goldriverco.com today and get yourself some tea. So this is basically a church service is the Archbishop of Canterbury. That's administering all these symbolic things saying blatantly jesus christ the redeemer it's unheard of today right and that's the thing that i'm wondering is what's going to happen with king charles because even things down to like the rod that she's given and the scepter the scepter has a cross on it uh representing the sovereign's uh power but that she's under she's under god she's under christ the true sovereign and that um all sovereignty is actually delegated. And then, of course, she has a rod, which uh, represents the Holy Ghost. And it's it's these intangible things, equity and mercy, not equity in the sense of social justice equity we think of today, but impartiality. And so um, there's just all kinds of things like this. It's just, it's amazing. And, and I can see why someone would be uh, really just mesmerized with it you have the orb of gold that she's given signifying the dominion of the cross it is all religious the whole thing Uh, and then uh, there's a celebration of uh, communion uh, during the same ceremony and this is these are the traditions of great britain and so is prince charles now king charles is he going to do these things i want to um, bring to your attention an article from the guardian That is from 2022, September 9th, so fairly recently. And uh, in this, it says, the headline is, King Charles to be Defender of the Faith, but also a Defender of Faiths, plural. Defender of Faiths, plural. And it talks about, in this article, it talks about what King Charles now uh, has said over time about his relationship to Christianity and the monarchy, and in 1994, Charles, it says, triggered controversy when he said he would be defender of, the, of faith rather than defender of the faith. In a desire to reflect Britain's religious diversity, there were suggestions that the coronation oath might be altered. In 2015, he clarified, he said, I, as I try to describe, I mind uh, about the inclusion of other people's faiths and their freedom to worship in this country. And it's always seemed to, to me that while at the same time being defender of the faith, you can also be protector of faiths. So look, the, the language is changing. Well, I can protect these these other faiths, and defender of the faith to which I am a part of by tradition's sake, because I don't think Charles is probably an orthodox Bible-believing Christian. I would highly doubt that, although I would think that his mother probably was. And so um, it's this whole uh, article—I think they're probably positive about this—that social attitudes have changed, and, I mean, Charles—look, Charles III is is divorced— He's the first divorced sovereign since Henry VIII. I mean, um, and so so there's a little bit of a breaking of tradition here. And it doesn't mean that the royal family's perfect. They're not. They never have been, obviously. And I, no one, uh, I don't think anyone hardly believes that unless you're super uh, blinded by the pomp and circumstance. But this is probably going to be changing. Uh Into a multicultural framework. And that's something that um, we'll just have to see during the coronation if that happens. If it happens, though, it's one step towards, I think, the dissolution of not just the monarchy itself and the authority the monarchy has had, but the outer shell of what the monarchy represents. Because sooner or later, how is it going to be any different than a secular uh, state official? Because that's really what makes the monarchy, I think, special. It is the religious element, it is the Christian element uniquely. It is not, these other things, uh, I mean, outfits and music and all of that just simply um, are the icing on the cake. They beautify, they accentuate this religious fervor, but without that, you don't really have a monarchy. The whole idea is that there's a divine sovereign, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has uh, bequeathed to men um, given to them some of his power and that it, this is recognized in a, a monarchy and that it's something that's um, w- when this kind of responsibility is given to a particular family it is then passed down generation to generation and from a young age children are raised for a purpose so it's not something that they compete for or realize when they're 30 years old, yeah I want to run for president someday They, this is something that from the beginning of time, they know they had a duty and station. And they, uh, that's why Prince Harry's uh, leaving uh, the royal responsibilities and living in uh, North America is so uh, such an affront to so many people. And then, of course, kind of attacking the, the royal family to some extent. It's such an affront because that's just not done. It's not protocol, right? Because there's a duty, there's a responsibility. And I think we actually like that deep down. And there's things like this, the divine right of kings being one, where the responsibilities associated with monarchy, Uh, arranged marriages, of course, is another one, dueling, right, another one, Uh, slavery or serfdom, another one, Uh, there's probably more I could think of. But all these things um, carry with them certain hierarchies, responsibilities uh, beyond oneself, an attachment to things beyond oneself, uh, duties, uh, obligation, and we spurn those things in in the, at least Western civilization, and particularly American culture, spurns those things. Yet, at the same time, uh, I think there is a recognition that there there's something special about it, that it's inescapable. And I would submit to you that 2020 was an example of this to some extent. You saw that it, the common good was so elevated that, you know, we must... For the sake of others your mask became kind of the symbol of whether or not you were going to carry your social obligation uh you know in, in a rightful manner if you, you took it seriously if you didn't have a mask you didn't take your social obligation seriously right so this is i think a warped kind of understanding of this because it, it was administered by people who didn't really have the authority to administer it to the extent they had to administer it it was a also behind it was basically some it was built on lies Uh, It was a power grab. It was all, I mean, it was all these nefarious things, but we want, I think, deep down there to be a, a legitimate authority that is, that has good motivations for us. That's what a king and a queen are supposed to represent. They have good motivations. They represent the people and they have their best interests at heart, not like some of the elites that we have ruling us. And this thing doesn't really exist in the real world. It's not something, I mean, there's no teeth in it. It's not something that we really see. But it's something I think we all long for. And ultimately, where does that longing have its consequence or, or its fulfillment? Uh, ultimately, and this isn't meant to be a Gospel Coalition article, but ultimately that longing is fulfilled in Jesus. That there is a earthly um, desire or, or a desire we have to see something physically in the temporal realm reigning. Uh, the the reigning of a sovereign, but that's fulfilled in when Jesus comes and He actually puts the earth under His own dominion, and and that will that will we will all live to see that whether we are on His side or not, we will all see that at some point, even if it's after the physical death, we will see it, and that will be the fulfillment of that desire. So I just wanted to make that observation that even the pagans out there, I think have this attraction, and I don't think they can account for it, because it runs counter to everything else they say they believe, and yet, here they are, uh, praising the pomp and circumstance, and the mobility and all the rest of those intangible things that they don't really believe in, but they're praising it, and they're enjoying it, and they're looking to it, so, uh, God bless, hope that was helpful.